Greetings, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, my show across the nation. The phone number, should you wish to be a part of it, 877-973-7425, 877-973-7425. I'll get to those of you on the phone in just a moment. But first, I I, I got I to gotta talk about something. Oh, man, I don't, I don't. Uh, this is going to provoke people, but it needs to be said. I, w- I want to play for you a clip real quick. This is uh, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. She represents Northwest Georgia, where Republicans internalized her talking point about stolen election last year and chose, therefore, to stay home instead of participating in the runoffs, thereby handing the Senate to the Democrats. This is this is her talking uh, with a conservative host. And, and I hate to use this language, but Democrats, uh, they're, they're exactly, they're doing exactly what our founders talked about when they gave us these precious rights that we have. And, and you know, no one wants violence. And I say it all the time. I'm not a violent person. And I hope to never see a civil war in this country. And that's why you hear me toss around uh, national divorce, because the federal government has grown so big. Uh, and, and the Democrats are willing to use the power of the federal government that it, that it really violates people's rights. And this is why state rights are so important. And um, it, it's a shame. It, we shouldn't think that way. But, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. But we always have to make sure that we're defending our Second Amendment rights and making sure that our state rights are protected. Listen. I actually agree with Marjorie Taylor Greene on the issue of states' rights. Uh, we need aggressive advocacy for state rights. Thankfully, we have a Supreme Court majority uh, that understands the Tenth Amendment, even if Sonia Sotomayor does not. I, I don't think this talk about national divorce is helpful in large part because, what it can't happen. And it would be very bad for conservatives if it did. And I want to I, I talk about two separate things. I'm going to tie them together. I'm a professional. Just trust me. Let me talk about this first. Have you all thought through this? And I've run through this on the show before, but have you really thought about it? If you go to your local grocery store right now and see empty shelves or you ordered stuff for Christmas and it never came, that's because of shipping problems through ports. If we went through a national divorce, who would control the port of Long Beach in Los Angeles, California? Us or them? Who would control the port of New York? Us or them? The ports in San Francisco? Seattle? Who who would control those ports? Us or them? Hmm? What what about the major cities? We get a great divorce. The country breaks apart. We decide to divorce. Who controls the cities in Texas? Us or them? Do you force them to give up their land and move to California? You you revoke their land, tell tell them, get out of here. We don't want you anymore. Really? Do you disrespect their property rights in the way you say the left disrespects property rights? You become like them to make your point? Really? Who controls the coasts? Other than the Gulf of Mexico, the left does. Who controls the major supply chains and and hubs of manufacturing? Those are all democratically controlled cities. This 
national divorce, when you hate the other side so much, it, it, it whips you into frenzy and you start thinking about it, but you don't think about all the core logistical details of a nation the supply chains of a nation. We're under under impact of supply chains right now. It would get worse for conservatives if we went through a national divorce. The major cities, the major economic hubs, the major industrial areas, the major ports, the major transportation hubs, all controlled by Democrats. Good luck in your national divorce. Good luck figuring that out. It's not a not a wise thing to say, but I get the frustration. And I, I, I agree with Marjorie Taylor Greene that we have got to strengthen states' rights and states being willing to fight Washington. And I agree that conservative justices and conservative judges, if left-wing judges are going to be aggressive, conservative judges need to as well. I do. But I think it comes from something else, and this is what I was really going to talk about. And there are two completely separate stories. But I think they're all the undercurrent of all of this, the national divorce and these other stories, they're all of the same vein. Here's the headline from CNN Health. The highly contagious Omicron variant will find just about everybody, Fauci says. Vaccinated people will fare better. From CNN, as the Omicron variant spreads like wildfire across the United States, it's likely just about everybody will be exposed to the strain, but vaccinated people will still fare better, the nation's leading infectious disease expert said Tuesday. Omicron, with its extraordinary, unprecedented degree of efficiency of transmissibility, will ultimately find just about everybody. Tony Fauci told Stephen Morrison, senior vice president of the Center for Strategic and International Studies, those who have been vaccinated and boosted would get exposed. Some, maybe a lot of them, will get infected, but will very likely, with some exceptions, do reasonably well in the sense of not having hospitalization or death. In contrast, those who are not vaccinated are going to get the brunt of a severe aspect of this. When you hear him say, everybody's going to get it. You get a little fatalistic. Might as well go on out and try to get infected now. In fact, yesterday, the top story seen in for most of the day was on how doctors are discouraging people from that, trying to discourage people from saying, I might as well go on and get infected. I might as well go out and try to get infected. I might as well go find someone and have a COVID party. I'm vaccinated. I'm boosted. Let me go on and get it over with. And then there's another story here. John Ortved at the New York Times. Completely, again, unrelated, but trust me here, folks, I'm an expert. I'm going to string these stories together. On a recent not-so-wintry Thursday in the Bushwick neighborhood of Brooklyn, when the only snowflakes seen were over text, a gang of 20-somethings stood in a circle outside Clearing Gallery sharing a pack of American spirits. Those are cigarettes. A day earlier at Columbia University, a 19-year-old pre-med student stared enviously at her phone screen at Parisian women in cute dresses walking, cigarettes in hand, before stepping outside for a cigarette with her friends. She requested not to be identified by name because she didn't want her habit to affect her career in medicine. People are smoking online, too. On Instagram... Tasman Ursahan, a photographer and stylist, 
posed a picture of her boy, posed a story of her boyfriend, Arson Sorrenti, son of the photographer Mario Sorrenti, catching a lit cigarette in his mouth. On TikTok, Charlie Jordan, a DJ and model, tried a sexy French inhale for her 7.7 million followers. Smoking his back, said Isabel Rauer, a 24-year-old sculptor, one of the spirited Americans outside clearing. Weirdly, in the last year or two, all my friends who didn't smoke now smoke. I don't know why. No one is really addicted to it. It's more of a pleasure activity. Across New York City, as the pandemic waxes and wanes, a social activity that had seemed diminished or replaced with vapes, marijuana, or education seems to have reappeared. Have cigarettes, those filthy cancer-causing things, and still the number one cause of preventable death in the United States, lost their taboo? Cigarette smoking is actually in steady decline. It actually is. But it's becoming more common among social media influencers and and, uh, the rich and the elite and the urban dwelling. Now, these are three separate stories. Dr. Fauci saying, man, we're all going to get it. And CNN trying to caution people, please stop trying to go get go get infected now. Marjorie Taylor Greene, the congresswoman, talking about the great divorce of the nation, splitting it apart. And the rise of cigarette smoking yet again. They're all three related. Now, I feel the need to give a caveat because I can hear some of you in the force. Yes. I will on Sunday nights with friends sit on my front porch and smoke a cigar. Unlike a cigarette, you do not inhale cigar smoke. It does not go into your lungs. You're far less likely ever to get lung cancer from a cigar than from a cigarette where you do actually inhale the the smoke into your lungs. If you try that with a cigar, you are going to puke all night. You don't do it with a cigar. I feel the need to say that because I know how some of you are. You just can't help yourselves. So these three stories, cigarette smokers, Fauci and the virus, and the great national divorce, you know the common thread of all of them? Fatalism. Fatalism. We are becoming a nation of fatalists. We're all going to die. Might as well enjoy it. We're all going to die. Might as well be on our terms. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. What can we do to carve out our protected space? There is a fatalism, a nihilism, if you will, in this nation at this point that we're all going to die ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and that's the end. There is no hope right now in our society. Do you know millennials and now Gen Zers? They are the first generations in the United States that do not expect to have a better life than their parents. It has been the American dream since the founding of this country that the next generation would have a better life. And now the the younger millennials in particular, the the 30-somethings, and then the Gen Zers, the 20-somethings, they're out there looking right now and saying, what the heck? I'm screwed. I got so much debt. 
I may need socialism to bail me out. There is a deep fatalism that they're not going to make it in America. There is a deep fatalism about the history of America, the deep fatalism about the fate of America, a deep fatalism about the virus, a deep fatalism about life. Are we going to get shot or is something bad going to happen? Is there going to be a terrorist attack? There is something right now in the nation's psyche and our politicians, our leaders should be trying to pull us out of it, trying to elevate us above it, trying to give us hope. And instead, you got Joe Biden telling you you're with Bull Connor and and Jeff Davis if you don't support voting rights. There are no politicians peddling hope right now. They've embraced the fatalism too. The country's over. China's number one. We might as well get get used to it. that's, That's their message, and it's wrong. There should be hope. But you know who else? It's not just the leaders. It's not just the politicians. It's not just the bureaucrats. It's the churches. A lot of churches, not all churches. There are some very good churches out there trying to wade into this and talk about it. But a lot of them are, well, yep, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Let me deal with my congregation and, and not have a message into this mess. Let's let's call our missionaries back and, and get them to focus on the church. There's a negative fatalism that has impacted the United States right now. And so people are engaging in more unhealthy habits and riskier habits because they don't care anymore. There's nothing left to live for. Might as well embrace hedonism, epicureanism, and and live a good life now and enjoy it as best I can because I'm going to be dead tomorrow. That's not a way to have a stable society. It's why, by the way, those ideologies over time, the Epicureanism, hedonism, why they are in the minority and stay in the minority because the majority, the democracy of the dead, over time, people decide this isn't a healthy way to have a society. It's not a stable way to have a society. The societies that go this way evolutionarily evolutionarily, through natural selection, they die. And there are a lot of people who've given up on America. They've given up on you. They've given up on their neighbor. And they just decided, well, might as well have a cigarette. At least it makes me happy. It's no way to live. Dr. Fauci has a lot to play in this. His fatalism about the virus. No hope and optimism. The media itself playing up the hype and the fear, getting people scared of a virus that that has 99% survivability rate. There's not a lot of hope out there. So I would tell you, frankly, if you're a pastor at a church, you should be preaching hope into your community. But nationwide, to the media, to the politicians, if they're going to embrace fatalism, expect the public to do it as well. And they don't need to. There's lots of reasons to be bullish on America. There actually really are. But you'd hardly be hard-pressed to find this stuff in the media or with the prevailing sentiments of the politicians. We don't need a national divorce. We might need marriage counseling. We don't need a great divorce in this country. We need reconciliation with each other and an agreement to disagree as opposed to deciding we're going to cancel each other. And if we could just do that. And by the way, most people are like that. It's just the people who are too much on social media who are the brain biblical donkeys out there. We just do that. We could get back to healing and hope as opposed to misery, death, despair, and fatalism. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Congressman Kevin Brady, the outgoing ranking member on Ways and Means, is going to be joining me at the bottom of the hour. Right now, I want to take a phone call. Thomas, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Good afternoon. Hi there. 
Uh, I've enjoyed your program for the few years that you've been on in Atlanta. Thank you. And uh, wish you continued success and prayers to your wife. Thank you so much. One of the first things I'd like to say based on a, uh, being on hold for so long is that um, if it's racist to require voter ID in Georgia, then is it racist to go out to eat in D.C.? Yes, exactly. Um, the hypocrisy continues. The other thing that you just spoke of regarding the church, uh, it is, I think, part of the government's plan and part of why the churches were shut down during the pandemic to create this nihilistic mentality that so many of us see. Now, I'm blessed to be a believer and therefore um, chose not to live by fear, but by live by faith. Yes, I'm not going to stand out in the highway and try to avoid trucks, but I'm going to take the prudent steps, I believe, to protect myself and my health and then not live in fear of a pandemic. And good for you. Let's face it. For those of us that believe ultimately, you know, what are they threatening me with? Yeah. Eternity, eternity in heaven. Right. So that's really not a pervasive argument, in my opinion. But um, what I initially called about was you were correct in predicting the chaos that came from the Republican Party here when Kemp put Loeffler in the Senate and um, thus we're stuck with Warnick. The, um, what is your thought on how that will play out for Warnick's spot? One, two, why wouldn't Purdue run for that instead of mucking up the governor? And are the Republicans going to shoot themselves in the foot for the governor's race like they did for oh. the Senate race? Yeah, oh, I've got some strongly held opinions on these, Thomas. Let, let me work through them. And thank you very much for the phone, phone call. Uh, one, uh, I think that uh, the Republicans have a really good shot at picking up the Georgia Senate seat again. Remember, they only lost it because 427,205 Republicans stayed home in the runoffs thinking it was going to be stolen. Now they're fired up and ready to go. I think they got a real shot there. Uh, Warnock is deeply vulnerable because like Joe Biden, he's fixated on voting rights when voters in Georgia don't really care about that stuff. Uh, Purdue should have run for that race, I think, but he doesn't want to be back in the Senate. Senate's kind of boring. He wants to be somewhere else. I just think it's a disaster for him to run for governor. It just helps Stacey Abrams. I mean, he's already admitted that her announcing forced his hand to come on and announce. Uh, he's So she's already played him. That's bad. Brian Kemp's already beaten her, let him beat her again. He's the only one in the race with a track record of beating a Democrat uh, in the last few years. And, you know, though, I do think Republicans are going to turn out overall in Georgia and I think they're going to do well. There's some data out there that suggests the Republicans will probably lose not a single seat in the Senate this year. Hello there. Well, we're the, we had Congressman uh, Brady calling in and, and it looks like their office has gotten distracted. So we'll see. But Justin has been waiting very patiently. Let me let me get to Justin here on the phone. Justin, welcome to the program. Hi, Eric. Love the show. Thank you. So a little while ago, you were talking about the vaccine mandate in New York and uh, a lot of other places. Um, at the beginning, they were talking about going to your healthcare professional and getting their opinion about the shot and whether it's right for you or not. Right. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I went to the doctor and talked to them about me getting the shot because I have severe asthma. And 
I have had Bell's palsy in the past, which that's one of the major side effects of the vaccine. And getting the vaccine, once you've already had Bell's palsy, you're more susceptible to get it again and become permanent. So I had COVID last January pretty bad. And so they tested my antibodies and they were still extremely high a year later. And her suggestion was for me not to get the vaccine, even with severe asthma. And so my question is, is what do people like me do that my healthcare professional has advised me not to get it? So I can't go on cruises. I can't go to New York. And a lot of employers are starting to mandate, uh, you know, vaccines. Like, what am I to do? Get the shot anyways, even against my doctor's uh, advice? Well, you know, first of all, I would say, listen to your doctor on that, particularly with Bell's palsy. Uh, This is part of the problem, though, that our geniuses in public health have not figured out a way to navigate. They would tell you, essentially, that you've got to live your life now in a hermetically sealed bubble, which is not fair to you. Uh, because you can't get vaccinated, right. you, you got asthma. Uh, among other things, you can't get vaccinated. It, it's it's a horrible predicament that we're in. And if we if we predict into the future where we're going to be in Europe right now, they're largely coming to the realization we're going to have to treat COVID like we treat the flu and colds. That it's going to be around, and people can and should get vaccinated, but some people aren't going to. Some people can't. So let's just treat it like that. Now, the downside is that COVID is actually more contagious than the flu and has uh, more negative downside than getting the flu, can be potentially more fatal than the flu. At the same time, though, so many people are getting vaccinated and, frankly, so many people are getting sick. And and you yourself got sick uh, and, and survived. The odds are you will be fine if you get the Omicron variant, for example, largely because your body has so many antibodies. And I do suspect we are going to get to the point, just like with colds, where we've all gotten it so often over the next decade that it's going to become just like a harmless cold. You know, uh, the common cold is a coronavirus. So I, I, just, I feel bad for you, though, uh, Justin, in, in your current predicament, because there is not a lot of rationality out there among employers or healthcare officials right now for people in your situation. I know of a lady. Uh, she's a family friend who lost her job because she didn't get vaccinated, and she didn't get vaccinated because her doctor told her absolutely not to. Yeah, exactly. I've known a lot of people in the same predicament, and it's I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people, and I get different answers, and everybody has different rationalities and uh, reasons why, and it's it's just ridiculous some of the things that I've heard. Yeah, it it, it really is. Uh, I I I don't. How do I say this without angering people that I don't mean to anger? I don't know that I have a ton of sympathy for people who are vaccine hesitant because they've heard. Uh, a lot of lies about the vaccine. They're so on social media. Uh, there, There is, for example, there's a prevailing mythology in some circles on social media that you're far more likely to die of COVID if you get the vaccine, which isn't true. I don't have sympathy for those people. I got a whole right. hell of a lot of sympathy for people in your situation or people who have a sincere religious objection based on, for example, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine uh, being having uh, aborted tissue being used for uh, development. I, I got real sympathy for those people, and our government doesn't seem to have sympathy for anyone anymore. And it's just it's, – it's not a good situation. I would tell you I, I wish you the best of luck on this front. Uh, I, I hope very much – 
that your employer will be reasonable to you. But there are a lot of employers out there who their brains just got broken on this stuff. I know of a, a company in town I have always highly regarded here, here in Atlanta who is firing employees who don't get vaccinated as opposed to any reasonable accommodation. At least like Delta Airlines, I think, is kind of the model for this, that you're not going to lose your job if you don't get the vaccine, but you will pay an extra supplemental premium in insurance because if you get it or you spread it, it causes their costs to go up. So you're going to offset that. I think that's a reasonable accommodation. But employers who are flat out refusing to keep an employee, particularly, by the way, at this time when there's a job shortage right there right now, there's a labor shortage. And yes, we've got very low unemployment, but a lot of it is people have sat out on the sidelines. They're not going back. They don't want the vaccine or whatnot. They've decided to retire early. There are a lot of companies out there strapped for employees right now, and some of the the idiot employers out there firing people over the vaccine. They're running into this with police right now in New York, where there is a police shortage in New York City because they fired the police officers who didn't want to get vaccinated. There is a nursing problem with Mayo Clinics nationwide because they fired 700 employees who didn't want to get the vaccine. They say, well, it's only 1% of the workforce, but it's causing them problems apparently. United Airlines having problems in the same regard for pilots and and staff because they got rid of them. It was a dumb, boneheaded thing to do. And by the way, it builds resentment. It builds resentment in ways that I don't know the Democrats and the people who fear a Republican takeover really understand. And there is data happening right now. Gosh, this is one reason I love being live noon to three, because there is big breaking news that has happened. Quinnipiac, a poll that everyone knows, admits, understands, and processes with has a Democratic bias. The Quinnipiac poll has always had a bias towards the Democrats, and it has a new poll out on Joe Biden. Democrats, again, you may need to go to your fainting couch. Ladies and gentlemen, please, a moment. We will pause the program for Democrats and partisan progressives who need to attend to the fainting couch before the data is released. Please now, Democrats, please take your seat comfortably. Progressives, please take your seat comfortably. Please now place the palm of your left hand into the left temple of the side of your head. Please place the palm of your right hand into the right temple, the side of your head. Push in hard now so your brain does not explode. Please, we do not want injuries when I release the breaking news that just happened. Quinnipiac poll just came out. A poll everyone admits has a Democratic bias. Joe Biden, his approval among all adults. 33%. Among registered voters, 35%. Among independents, 25%. Among Hispanics, 28%. Um, friends, uh, there's no way to spin this as good news for Joe Biden when the Quinnipiac poll historically has a bias in favor of the Democrats. And I mean, Democratic approval for Joe Biden is 75%. 
That's part of the problem here. No, no, no. Listen, I, I'm, I'm not making this up. Nor, like with Donald Trump, Donald Trump, I don't think his approval among Republicans ever fell below 85%. And I can hear the Poindexter Democrat out there saying, well, at least we're more intellectually honest than the Republicans. Doesn't really matter. 75% of you still like him, and it's bad. I mean, 14% disapprove, but 11% don't know. Who the hell doesn't know whether they like or dislike Joe Biden when they're a Democrat? But 11% of Democrats are like, I don't know whether I approve or disapprove. That's bad. 57% disapproval among independents. 95 among Republicans, but you would expect that. 61% of men disapprove. 46% of women disapprove, 40% approve, but then 14% of women, they don't really know, which is kind of kind of understandable there. Turn left. No, turn right, dear. No, turn right, dear. Don't turn left, dear. I don't know, dear. 46%. If you got a college degree, you got 48% disapprove, 46% approve. If you don't have a college degree, 62% disapprove, 24% approve. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. Really interesting. Disapproval by age group. 52% of the 18 to 34-year-old Gen Zers, they disapprove. 58% of the millennial and Gen Xers disapprove. 51% of the old school Gen Xers and boomers disapprove. 50% of the boomers, 65 and up, they disapprove. It is 50% and higher disapproval among all age groups. Among white men, 64% disapprove. Among white women, 51% disapprove. Among uh, white people overall, 57% disapproval. Among black people, 27% disapproval, 57% approve. Among Hispanic people, 51% of Hispanics disapprove. 21% of them aren't sure, 28% of them approve. This is horrible. This This is worse than Donald Trump. And by the way, I'm not actually making that up. I'm not making that up. This is worse polling than Donald Trump in the Quinnipiac poll. It's really hard in a level of hyper-partisanship for a president of the United States to do this badly. It's bad if you're a Democrat. And what's Joe Biden offering? Nothing on anything that matters. He's not offering anything that matters. Ari Berman is a writer in uh, Salon or Mother Jones. He's a hyperpartisan progressive left-wing writer. He's now out calling for the Democrats to change the rules in the Senate as quickly as possible to save democracy. Listen to this. 
Well, I'm sure there will be retribution from Mitch McConnell, but I think it's also important that Mitch McConnell already created an exception to the filibuster to confirm three justices for Donald Trump to the Supreme Court. So McConnell already broke the Senate. The Senate is already broken. The question is what to do about it. And right now— Notice the intellectual dishonesty there where he doesn't note it was actually Harry Reid who made the change for judges. He blames McConnell status quo benefits Republicans, because <laughs> if no voting rights mean? legislation passes, well, the then all of these efforts to undermine democracy at the state level will be allowed to go into effect going forward. And so right now, it's on the Democrats to try to change the rules to save American democracy. Mitch McConnell doesn't need to do anything because he's already broken the U.S. Senate and Republicans are already undermining democracy at the state level. Notice, first of all, you can tell there's no intellectual honesty there when he can't cite actually Harry Reid's the one who changed the filibuster for judges. McConnell just finished it off. But let's take this in light of the Quinnipiac polling. What you're saying is that a president who only a third of Americans approve of should get the Senate Democrats to change the rules of the Senate unilaterally, to change the laws of this country unilaterally in order to protect Democratic majorities. Who's really the anti-Democrat and and pro-Democrat democracy person out there? Who's really the authoritarian out there? A president with a third of the public supporting him wants the Democrats in the Senate to change the rules of the Senate without a two-thirds vote. The rules of the Senate can be changed with a two-thirds vote. Wants the Democrats in the Senate to change the rules of the Senate by breaking the rules of the Senate to preserve Democratic majorities. Who's the real authoritarian here? And this is why it's not going to happen. Here's Joe Manchin. Senator, good morning. You plan on watching and listening to what the president says today? Oh, I'd love to. I'm not in committee meetings, I will be. Anything he can say to change your mind on filibuster and procedure? The filibuster is what we have, our rules. We need some good rule changes to make the place work better, but getting rid of the filibuster doesn't make it work better. Do you get any pressure from your constituents back home on that issue? Well, no, I mean, what they know about the filibuster is basically what Bob Byrd has educated people on over the years. And uh, the filibuster is what makes the Senate hopefully work when it's supposed to work. We need some good rules changes, and we can do that together. But you change the rules with two-thirds of the people that are present. So it's Democrats and Republicans changing the rules to make the place work better. Getting rid of the filibuster does not make it work better. Doesn't make it work better, and it requires a two-thirds vote. This is bad. This is bad. But the fact that Gen Xers... And Gen Zers hate the president the most, that becomes defining. Remember, remember, Joe Biden won Gen Zer votes. He did. Young people voted for him. 52% of them disapprove of him right now. This could be a defining election that generationally shifts people away from the Democrats. That's how bad it's become in Washington for the Democrats. So you know what they're going to do. They're going to scream more loudly about Donald Trump. Uh, Frank Luntz, the pollster, uh, just noted on social media that the lowest Donald Trump ever hit in the Quinnipiac poll was 37% among all Americans. Joe Biden is at 33% among all Americans. This happening now. It's, it's now suddenly uh, the news conversations are seizing this, and, and the internal data is really, really bad. 49%. 
of Americans say Joe Biden is doing more to divide the country, while 42 percent say he's doing more to unite the country. This is a bad look. Also, why, again, his speech in Georgia yesterday was a strategic mistake. But let me just put this in perspective for you now. Since before January 6th, the media and the Democrats have said it's the Republican Party that is the threat to democracy in the United States. But right now, at this moment in time, a president with a 33% job approval rating is trying to get the Senate Democrats to change the Senate rules by ignoring that those rules require a two-thirds vote to change them so that they can pass a law designed to secure Democratic majorities in Congress. How are the Republicans the threat to democracy? How is it that the Republicans are the threat to democracy when a president with only 33% popular support is trying to get the rules change in the Senate to be done by breaking the rules of the Senate to pass a law designed to secure Democratic majorities? That makes them the enemies of democracy. Do they really want to be? Well, you know, so often in this country, we see people become what they say they hate. And it's just incredible to behold this. It is really genuinely incredible to watch them do this. These are terrifying numbers if you're a Democrat. When you have a majority of Hispanic voters and a majority of white voters in this country turning on you, that sets up a crimson wave in November a Republican bloodbath of Democrats. It's just, it's going to be a brutal election. It's going to be like watching 300 play out on, on the electoral landscape. It's just, it's, it's going to be amazing to watch if this holds up. There is time. Events change things, but you're starting to get the public locking in perceptions that it turns out they really don't like Joe Biden. And again, it all goes back to him doubling down on Afghanistan. Had he not withdrawn from Afghanistan, had he just preserved the status quo, we would not be in the situation right now. But once it happened, the public turned on Joe Biden because they realized the guy who was empathetic, caring, and competent was none of those things. And it's really hard to come back from that. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution. If you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business, First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan, say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com. 